Stories connect us as humans. A well-told story can motivate and inspire us. Storytelling is the ultimate superpower. Be The Drop is a weekly podcast that investigates how to tell stories that engage. Join me, Amelia Veal, on our shared journey to become better storytellers. In episode 206 of Be The Drop, Annalie Blundell speaks knowledgeably and passionately about gender equality in the workplace and the unconscious bias women and men experience every day due to their gender. She also reveals the key to good leadership, whether you're male or female. This is Annalie's version of Be The Drop. This episode was recorded during our TV documentary series, Transcending the Gender Narrative. For more details or to watch any of the episodes, go to transcending.narrativemarketing.com.au. Annalie, thank you so much for joining us in this conversation about gender equality and transcending our gender narrative. Can you start by perhaps giving us a little bit of your background? My name is Annalie Blundell. I'm a leadership expert and I specialise in communication and influence. Tell us a little bit about your journey in, you know, you've been working with leadership, you've been working with supporting female leaders, and in that journey have had a lot of conversations and, and interactions with male leaders. Give us a little bit of a perspective around that journey. Well, it's been quite interesting. When I first started, I was predominantly working with the women across organisations and within organisations. Um, and so as someone who's setting out to change the way we have conversations both between the women themselves and between the women and their organisations, it was really interesting to me how much it became apparent that the real conversation needed to be between the men and the women in the organisations. Um, I mean, it probably seems obvious on the surface, but one of the things I'm noticing is that it's not just about um, people who believe that a discussion around gender equality is the right thing to do. Uh, there's lots of good people out there who are for the conversation and who believe in the movement, if you like. But it's not really just about people who are good people who believe in gender equality because what you believe is not as important as how you behave in the workplace. And unfortunately, as humans, we're all biased. So it doesn't matter how much you want things to be equal and you want things to be fair. The truth of the matter is a lot of the bias that we're facing and a lot of the issues that the women are facing are actually stuck within the systems and the policies and the legacies of times gone by. Mm. And that's really hard to catch. That's this whole domain of second generation bias. And, you know, I've definitely seen that and experienced that, but that's such a big sort of scope. How do you start looking at and how do you have conversations with, with leaders about that? From my perspective, I feel like my contribution to this conversation is to make it practical and accessible. So there's a lot of wonderful research out there. There's a lot of great movements happening to sort of forward this conversation. What I'm seeing happen as a result of that is uh, people sort of entering into the conversation in a way that makes me feel like they haven't necessarily understood the practical application of 
the beliefs or a way to really forward that conversation. So as an example, I'm someone who takes a practical perspective of this conversation. So rather than saying, men, you should get involved in this conversation, it's the right thing to do. I believe most men would think that it's the right thing to do. And it's very rarely nowadays that we have men actually walk around going, women should be in the kitchen. I mean, don't get me wrong, there are some and they are out there, but it's 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 less and less. So it's really this idea of how do we make it practical and accessible for someone who already believes that they're doing the right thing and already believes that gender equality and the narrative of the conversation we're having right now is important, but can't necessarily see how they are accidentally contributing to the status quo. And, you know, there are so many organisations where, you know, there is still higher males in mm-hmm. leadership roles and in the, you know, in the C-suite of organisations, these big organisations, there's still, you know, the data is still there that yeah. there is male-dominated leadership. Mm-hmm. So what, what can you do with those businesses? How do they start changing around the status quo? How do they tackle, uh, you know, a bias that they might not even be aware of? That's such a good question. And this is a really tricky thing to tackle. So I liken it to this idea. I often talk about this metaphor of uh, a tall person shopping and a short person shopping. If you are a tall person shopping and you've got $100 to buy your groceries and a short person also has $100 and you both walk into the grocery store and you do your shopping, if you turn around and walk out with the same items in the same basket and you've spent the money in the same way, the tall person looks across and says, you had the same opportunity as I did. But what they don't see is the experience of the short person. And that might be, I can't reach the top shelf, therefore I can't get that item. I might have to wait for somebody to come along, so that's jeopardised my speed. And so even though it looks the same on the outside, it's actually a different experience because of the invisible barriers that that short person experiences. And so for me, the idea is that men are often that tall shopper. They see women with the same jobs and the same opportunity, but they don't realise the invisible obstacles that the women have had to face. For example, really simple things like women not even getting on the shortlist. And this is the thing where, so I, I, when I have group conversations with men and male leaders, one of the things that they say are things like, Annalie, I am an inclusive leader, so I pride myself on um, valuing everybody equally and I always hire on merit, right? I always hire, they don't say merit, they say I always hire the best person for the job. And I ask the people in the room, has anyone ever hired the crappest person for the job. Of course you haven't. You always hire the the person you think is the best person for the job, right? That's not the issue here. The issue here and one of the invisible barriers that we often talk about is the fact that we don't understand the true definition of qualified. So if we're looking at what qualified means, in, in which case that's how you would make the determination that someone is the best person for the job, you line them up with their qualifications. But if you're looking at at it through a lens that discounts the experiences that women have because, for example, you want 10 years in an elite engineering role and there just haven't been enough females to do that. So how do you start bringing women in if they've physically not had that experience? So unless you can change what qualified means and change the scope of qualities that are going to enable them to do that job, you never open up the gates for women to enter in. 
Mm. So what you're talking about really is that deficit that yeah. currently exists, yeah. you know, the low percentage of females in particular industries mm. or at particular levels mm. of seniority. Mm. So it's about kind of bringing that deficit in line so that then we can start talking about equality. So we're not really even on the equality playing field yet. Absolutely. We're definitely not even on the equality playing field. And one of the issues that we really need to solve is the conversation, because right now we're not having the right conversation. And and I feel like when I work with organisations, I, I talk to women and they, they talk to me about starting a women in, you know, networking group. So it might be women in IT or women in engineering, whatever it is. And there's always this conversation around it's it's women in group, but the men are always welcome. And guess who never shows up? The men never show up. And I say, well, of course they're not going to show up because what, what's in it for them? You know, it's the, the, the value proposition really isn't clear because the problem really isn't clear to men, as we talked about before. What I'm noticing is I'm now hearing things from men like another woman's thing. When do the men get an event? Because it's this feeling of there's all this investment in women and focus on women and women in leadership and all this special treatment for women that men are starting to feel like special treatment for women means disadvantage for men. And this is an issue, not just because they feel this way, but because if they feel this way, they are not going to get on board with the conversation. And we need men in the conversation. We don't need enemies right now and we can't have people polarising when we actually need people to come together. So one of the conversations we really need to be having is the one where we can acknowledge the potential inner dialogue that men are now having around this. I'm having many conversations with my friends' husbands And this is because I have conversations with my friends and they say, oh, you need to have that conversation with my husband. They don't quite understand this and they're not sure about this angle and you're someone who's safe and knowledgeable and can enter into a dialogue where they won't feel shamed and they won't feel embarrassed to be asking the questions they really want to ask. And these questions are things like, if I support women in the workplace, will I lose my job? That's a genuine question. And the answer is possibly. If you think about it now, it's no longer men have an entitlement to to the next job. So you're just fighting between men, as it were, for that job. And this is what we've seen traditionally when we've got um, really strong male networks where the tap in the shoulder, the tap on the shoulder, that is your hiring and recruitment process. And that stuff still happens today. But as soon as you lift the lid and make that transparent and you open it up and ensure there's an equality of gender applicants, all of a sudden the competition doubles. So possibly men might lose out on that job. A hundred percent. And that's what, you know, hopefully through this series with Transcending, mm. that's what we're looking at because, yeah. you know, even when I started, yeah. it was, you know, the, the documentary itself was called Female in a Man's World. And right. when I went and built the, you know, built the understanding and looked mm-hmm. at building in the content for this, I realised that that was in the limitations that currently exist. That was like calling it a, a women's, women in, yes. whatever. It's exactly the same thing. Mm. And that's the problem we've been having. We keep recycling that. And mm. I 100% agree that we want to advance more women, Mm -hmm. but we need to bring men with us on that journey. And if they're afraid, and they have every right to be, like, what does that mean for me as a man? If I I were a man, what 
where do I fit in that conversation and what do I, you know, what could I potentially lose? Mm. But I think the other part of that is then we want to try and look at what could they potentially gain and what does the gender diversity bring to the workforce, you know, when we've got more diversity. Mm. And this is really interesting because one of the things I talk about is this idea of social backlash. And this is the stuff that we need to take care of. You know, um, how is what's, how is the surrounding reinforcing the socialized stereotypes? Mm. And how do we have the conversation where we can make it okay for men to show emotion in the workplace, for men to talk about mental health in the workplace, for men to be softer in the workplace, and for women to be stronger in the workplace? That's the level that we need to get to. Mm. And it's interesting because I think those biases come from such a young age when you think about children, girls, you know, that might be four, five years old, Mm. and if they're assertive, they're called, you know, bossy. But (laughs) if the boys are, then they're assertive and strong-willed. And it's really horrifying, actually. Like, I think about the conversations I've had as a child and even at university and the sorts of language that I would use and the sayings that I would say and, you know, suck it up and, you know, don't be such a sissy, just regular things that we now know are actually not helpful because they reinforce that stereotype that women are weaker and girls need help and uh, girls can't be strong and they can't be uh, in charge and, and leading. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, you really nailed it there. It's that language that we're using and the conversation that we're having and looking at, at it across multi-different access points within the community, within different age groups, as well as within the workplace. So what are some of those programs that you're seeing that work really well? There's a couple of things. When I start work with organisations, I see organisations at different levels of maturity. So we've got organisations that I call the toxic tragics. I don't usually work with a lot of those. They're the ones that you see on the front page of the newspaper for all the wrong reasons. So they haven't quite got with the program yet. Then there's a number in the middle, and I call this the middle majority for obvious reasons. And this is where people are starting to make the observation that explicit bias doesn't cut it in this organisation. We're, we're on board with the conversation about equality, but we're not exactly sure what to do with that. And then there are organisations who are the leading edge of this conversation. They're the bias breakers. They, they not only know what needs to be done, but they're doing what needs to be done. So they're out there. They're not just in the organisations, but they're in the industry forums. You know, they're sort of really at the forefront of this conversation. And often where I catch people and and leaders and organisations is in that middle space where they're starting to enter into initiatives around gender equality, particularly around women in leadership, as that's one of my big areas. So they'll typically have budget for investment in supporting women in leadership. And my sense is that it needs to be more than that. It can't just be about fixing the women. One thing I'm really, really clear about when I'm having these dialogue, when I'm having these conversations, is that women aren't broken. There's nothing wrong with them. They don't need to be changed or fixed. What we need to fix is the way that women are viewed by society. Now we're bringing in the leaders of those women to say, hey, you represent the system and the environment or the context that the women will go back into. So if you're not on board with this, nothing's going to change for these women. If you're not having conversations around hiring practices, recruitment practices, who you promote, how, when and why, then the woman can do everything in her capability 
but it's not going to make a difference. And I think that really taps into as well the other part of the gender conversation in that women are the ones that have children. Yes. So there is a physical, a biological requirement there, you know, if, if, a, if couples do want to have children, yes. that it's the female that's going to do that unless obviously they're adopting. Yes. Uh, but, you know, so in this conversation, how do we work around that? Because, you know, we're not looking to change biology, mm. but we're looking to balance the experience around yes. that. Yes. So I'm the queen of conversation. It's all about communication. And again, cultivating curiosity and asking questions. So if you've got someone who is going on maternity leave, how are you staying in connection with that woman? How are you keeping her engaged or involved in the feeling of the team or what's coming up in terms of the work? Um, how are you helping her re-enter the workforce or re-engage in the workforce? What happens when she gets back? Does she feel like she can talk about the experience? So I often get men saying to me, I want to be supportive, but I'm not sure, am I allowed to ask? And my answer is start with an open question and see what she wants to share and take it from there. Uh, But the fact that you're asking and showing interest will go a very, very long way that you won't need to worry if you're asking the right question or not. Mm. But it's this dialogue around keeping women connected so they can still have babies. Yes, we're not really that equal yet. We we still have to have the babies essentially. So women exit the workforce, have the babies, but when they come back, what's the integration process like? And what's the flexible arrangement that enables that woman not to feel guilty. And mother's guilt is such a huge um, issue in the workforce. How do we change that? How do we shift that to revere women who have had babies and come back? That's amazing. I mean, it's incredible. The amount of skills that women bring back to the workplace after having kids is unbelievable and we don't honour that enough. Same thing happens for women who have kids or don't have kids. So it's the same thing. Um, if you have children, how many have you had? If you have one, it's oh, you're only having one. If you've had two, oh, you already had two. Are you going to have more? There's, there is no right way to be a woman, unfortunately. And what that means is that women from all angles are experiencing heightened amounts of stress and guilt because if I'm not putting my all into my parental duties then I feel guilty. And if I'm not putting my all into my work duties, I equally feel guilty. And obviously you can't do all of it, but what we can do from a societal perspective is make sure women feel supported. Mm. And, I mean, to me it just highlights how important these conversations are because, you know, and one of the things I was thinking as you are talking there is, you know, the high rates of of male suicide within young men because they can't express their emotions and their feelings because that's not manly, you know. So there's there's these pressures that we're putting on both our men and women, you know, that have got negative impacts. Mm-hmm. So it is really, for me, it is two sides of the same coin about how we, how we transcend the gender narrative because that's yeah. going to make a better human experience for all of us. That is something to strive for and it's really far from where we are right now. Okay, I feel like we've covered more than all. One thing I didn't think we covered is leadership, so in itself. So, you know, to you, what makes a, like, you know, gender aside, Mm -hmm. what makes a good leader? What makes a good leader is someone who can develop leadership in others. 
So your, your goal as a leader is to make yourself redundant, essentially. If you can't bring out the best in the people around you and have them be better than what you'll ever be, then you haven't done your job as far as I'm concerned. And when it comes to this issue of gender equality and inclusive leadership, there are a couple of specific things that leaders can do. One of the things is really cultivating the ability to see beyond the surface behavior. As humans, one of the things we do is judge. So I look at you and I see you frowning in the meeting or I see you really quiet and you're never making a contribution and it's very easy for me to say she doesn't have anything to say. Where the truth might be that you've got a million things to say but you're finding it difficult to break into the conversation and you've been taught as a child that people with good manners don't cut into conversations unless invited. So you sit there well-mannered waiting to be invited. So my job as a leader, as an inclusive leader, to bring out the best in you is to create the environment where you feel comfortable to contribute your genius. So if that means I need to do something a little differently and structure the meeting as an example in a way that makes time for you, that's what I need to do. Mm, And it's so important. I love that, that flexibility around who you're communicating with and how you want to bring them with you. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Be The Drop. Don't forget to subscribe in order to ensure you never miss out on one of our weekly episodes. Be The Drop is produced by Narrative Marketing, where we believe that stories connect individuals and that powerful storytelling can positively impact the world. To unleash your storytelling superpower, visit narrativemarketing.com.au or check out our social links in the show notes. To contact me directly with any specific comments you have, you can email me via amelia at narrativemarketing.com.au. And don't forget that whilst a task or challenge may seem overwhelming, a waterfall begins with one drop and look what comes from that. This is a Narrative Network podcast.